Hello, I'm Pedro. And I'm Ivan. And we are two guys who really love wildlife and love sharing about wildlife. So a lot of you would want to know more about wildlife in, here in Singapore. So this is one way we decided to help people learn and understand our wildlife better. That's right. We want this to be a really safe and friendly space to learn about wildlife in our Wild Red Dog. So Ivan, before we begin, what exactly is wildlife? Right, so wildlife is basically any an animal that lives wild. Um, it's not contained or kept in captivity by human beings. That's the basic definition of wildlife. So I understand that wildlife needs to live in habitats, right? Mm -hmm. And recently I learned that Singapore isn't just a tropical rainforest. There are in fact many different wild habitats on our island. Yep. Can you tell us more? Right, so maybe I should rewind the clock okay, and bring us back to, let's say, 200 years ago. Okay, this would have been sometime just before the British colonized Singapore. So to set the stage, okay, so of course people were really living in Singapore at that point in time. However, for the most part, what we do know is that Singapore was mostly covered in this habitat called tropical rainforest. Okay, we call it primary rainforest when it has not never been cleared by people before. And then in the low-lying areas, we would have this other habitat called freshwater swamp forest, usually near rivers. Okay, um, and then in the coastal areas where the rivers met the sea and of course fringing the coastlines, we would have a variety of coastal habitats such as, such as mangroves, we will have coastal forests, we will have sea grasses, sandy shores, rocky shores, and then a bit further out, we will have coral reefs. So this would have been the historical background and this would be, have been the habitats that we had in Singapore. We still have them today, but over the years, um, for various reasons, many of these original natural habitats have been cleared, they've been significantly altered, all right, and changed and influenced by human activities. So over the course of 200 years, you know, we have gone through a lot of development. Is there still wildlife in modern Singapore? Yes, definitely. And uh, maybe I will go through some of the other habitats that have come up since then, right? So of course, we had our primary rainforests, we had our coral reefs and all that. So after the British arrived in Singapore, many of our original primary rainforests were cleared for agriculture, for cash crops like pepper and gambia and pineapple and rubber, and off at sea, right? As we de we develop and we gain independence, a lot of our coastal areas were reclaimed, and so that led to the loss of our, of many of our seagrasses, our mangroves and coral reefs. But right now, we do still have some remaining patches of these natural habitats in Singapore. Many of them are protected within the nature reserves. We also have many other areas that have been um, impacted by people in the past. For, so for instance, a lot of the areas that were cleared for plantations or for rural villages, locally we call them kampongs, right? We also have our fruit tree plantations, vegetable farms and all that. So as people moved away, as these places were abandoned, some semblance of forest came back. And so you have our other kind of forest habitat which we call 
secondary rainforest. Now, many of these are located within the central catchment nature reserve, and we also have some other patches located in many areas all around Singapore. And besides that, we also have our more urbanized landscapes. For instance, you have our parks, we also have our gardens, we also have our so-called urban streetscape, right? So basically, if you walk around urban residential areas, even in other commercial districts, you will see trees growing along the roadsides. You will see areas with grass and bushes and ornamental plants. And so this have also created some form of habitat for other animals. In terms of freshwater environments, we have our reservoirs right, and our canals, which are not exactly ideal for many of the animals that once live in our freshwater streams. However, we have, uh, have other animals that have adapted to these places. We now live in a very human-dominated world. And so a lot of the wildlife that lives in Singapore has had to find ways to cope with this dramatic change over the last 200 plus years. So if we look at wildlife in Singapore, right, there's so many different kinds of wildlife. Is there any way that we can group wildlife, you know, like categorize them? All right, sure. So I have basically three categories. The first category will include those wildlife that are still surviving in Singapore, despite the loss of much of their habitats, right? The second group will be wildlife that has adapted to human environments. And the third one will be wildlife that thrives and lives in Singapore because of humans. So maybe I will start with the first category, those wildlife that are able to survive here despite losing much of the, of the natural habitats. So these are usually animals that have very specific habitat requirements. For instance, they only need, they require very good rainforest habitats or they are only found in coral reefs or mangroves. So whatever little bit still remains, right, is their last refuge. So for instance, in our forest, you have animals like the lesser mouse deer and the raffles banded langer. You also have a wide variety of other smaller creatures, insects, spiders, and all that. And these are often only limited to very small areas of rainforest. And then of course, if you look at our coastal areas, whatever remaining uh, patches of seagrass or coral reefs or mangroves these are the last remaining refuge for a lot of these other marine species so out at sea you have things like our hawksbill sea turtles for instance right you have various corals and many other anim uh, animals that require coral reefs in order to survive and so these are not going to suddenly pop out into our neighborhood parks or they will you will not usually see them in our very urbanized right, areas. So they will always need us to safeguard and even protect and hopefully even increase the areas of habitat that they can occupy. So the next category will be those species that have adapted to parks and urban green areas. So as we have grown a wide variety of plants in our urban parks and gardens and along our roadsides, these often include plants that provide food for animals in various ways. For instance, you have fruit trees that attract um, various birds and fruit bats. Flowering plants, they produce nectar that attracts things like birds, butterflies, 
bees and various other insects and then of course you will have animals that will come in to feed on these animals that feed on these plants so for instance these plants attract insects which attract some birds and then some of these birds will attract even bigger predators to come in right and so on and so forth so some of some people would have seen very interesting and attractive birds like the black nip oriole the yellow vetted booboo the olive back sunbird these are all some of these birds they have adapted to um, our parks and our gardens and then you have things like the lesser dog-faced fruit mat which you can often find feeding on fruit trees in our urban areas and then after heavy rain you get some of the amphibians like the asian toad which can be heard calling often in large numbers in in these places and then finally you have these animals that are here because of human beings mainly because they thrive on our refuse on our basically our trash so for instance you have birds like the feral pigeon javan minor and the house crow now the interesting thing is that these three animals they are actually not native they were brought here by human beings they are living wild however they are still very much dependent on humans for food so ivan uh, you mentioned native what do you mean by native animals native refers to those that are found here naturally either they were here all along or if they were from somewhere else they came over by themselves they were not brought over by human beings whereas you have introduced species which tend to have been brought in by people whether deliberately or by accident right so this is one of the main separations okay so in if i can continue on with the urban species right in addition to these birds you also have things like rats in the urban environment you have things like cockroaches and various insects you find indoors in our households so they really thrive because of human beings right you will usually not find that many of them out in the middle of the forest away from human beings they are really dependent on, on humans and on the developed urban environment so maybe these are the three categories of course we can elaborate further in future episodes of this podcast right so stay tuned all right ivan if i am a new wildlife enthusiast starting out what would be the five animals that i should know about so this is tough because there are so many species i think everyone needs to know about and of course we will be talking a lot about these other animals in future episodes of this podcast maybe if i had to really narrow it down to five species i think i will pick the following five the first one would be the smooth coated otter number two the asian coel number three the reticulated python number four the Singapore freshwater crab and last but not least number five the Neptune's cup sponge and this all cover the whole variety of habitats you can find here in Singapore so number one the smooth-coated otter a species that we thought was locally extinct for several decades but in recent years has made a dramatic comeback and, and is now becoming very easily seen even in urban environments of Singapore. I agree. I think in many ways the smooth quota otter has become the poster boy of wildlife in Singapore. 
Uh, many people love it, many people are so crazy and they really have a huge following in Singapore but, but I understand that not everyone is that thrilled about them. Yes, unfortunately, um, because smooth-coated otters, they feed on fish, that has brought them into conflict with people, with ponds, or who basically rear fish in places they do not appreciate having otters in. So this has created quite a fair bit of conflict with people. You also have people who might not necessarily be aware of the numbers of otters we have here in Singapore, who, because of the fact that otters are so because the authors receive so much exposure and attention on social media, many people have the mistaken impression that we are being overrun, that one day authors will basically eat every single last fish everywhere and then they will start attacking human beings, they will start eating children or dogs and cats and all that, which is not true, it's not going to happen. But I do think this kind of goes to show that we do need a lot more education and awareness of wildlife if we cannot get people to appreciate otters for what they are, how can we get people to understand the need to protect so many other species that might not be seen as cute and lovable like the otters? So moving on, the next species will be the Asian corel. So the Asian corel, a lot of people might not have seen it, but they will definitely know it by its call. In fact, I understand that you are able to make a very good call for the corel, right? Uh, well, I can try it. Here it goes. Right, so basically, even if you've never seen this bird before, even if you don't know what it's called, I'm sure you must have heard this at some point in time. Right, whether it is near your workplace, near your school, in the park, or maybe if you are not that lucky, maybe outside your bedroom window at 5am in the morning. Another amazing thing about the Asian Coel is that it is a nest parasite. Yes, that's right. So unlike most birds, which build their own nests, they raise their own chicks, the Asian Coel and many of its cousins, which are the family we call cuckoos, they do not build nests at all. They actually lay their eggs in the nests of other birds. So in Singapore, the Asian Coel's host is the house crow. So Asian corals lay their eggs in the nests of a house crow and then the house crow will end up raising the Asian corals chicks as its own. And this is actually very interesting because although the Asian coral is considered native, it was not always a resident breeder in Singapore. So for many years, it was considered a rare migrant, which means that every year you will see a few of them flying to Singapore and then they will hang out here for a while when spring and summer come in the northern hemisphere, they fly back north again. And so they were only found here in Singapore for part of the year. However, because human beings ended up bringing the house crow to Singapore, and the house crow population here really exploded thanks to all the food waste and refuse they had to feed on, Asian Corel must have decided at some point in time to start staying here all year round. So by the 1980s, there were records of Asian corals breeding here in Singapore, which meant that they were targeting the nests of house crows, there were Asian corel chicks being recorded. Instead of being a rare migrant, they became a common urban resident. And it's all thanks to the house crow, which I must emphasize and reiterate, it is not a native species. 
So an introduced bird from another part of the world was somehow brought to Singapore and that actually allowed a different species of bird to flourish. So it's really very interesting to see how complicated this relationship is. And speaking of human-wildlife relationship, the next animal is an animal that, despite its size, have really adapted well to urban life. Yes, that's correct. So the third species is the reticulated python. Now this is the record holder. This, it holds the title of the world's longest snake. So there are some individuals that have been recorded growing to 8 meters, maybe 9 meters. However, these are the exceptional individuals and they do not reach such sizes in Singapore. We don't know why, but generally they do not seem to grow that large in Singapore. For the most part, many of them seem content to wander around our drains, our canals and our sewer system, preying on rats. And of course, rats thrive because of people. And thanks to all our food waste and our refuse that the rats feed on, they have allowed pythons to flourish in our urban environment. And in fact, because we've also lost other large predators like the tiger and leopard, the reticulated python is now considered our last remaining top predator on land. So it's not just rats that the pythons feed on, they can also feed on larger prey sometimes you have situations where a python goes for a stray cat which does bring them into conflict with people who care for the community cats and you also get some very sad incidents where a wild python ends up killing someone's beloved pet dog or cat in the wild they also can prey on larger animals for instance they can potentially prey on things like monkeys larger birds like jungle fowl they can also prey on things like small wild boar piglets and maybe even sambadia and it's really interesting to see how how these reptiles have adapted to our human environment so the reticulated python is one of the largest land predators that we have in singapore the next one is kind of not exactly that large right yes so my fourth species is the singapore freshwater crab now a lot of people, when they think of crabs, they think about chili crab or black pepper crab. This Singapore freshwater crab is much smaller. It only grows to, to about 3 centimeters in width. Very tiny little crab. Unlike the other three species I've mentioned so far, the Singapore fresh, freshwater crab is found only in a few small streams in a very specific habitat. So the, this crab is considered an endemic species. What, does it, what do I mean by that? It is found only in a certain country or in a certain habitat. So right now, as far as you know, the Singapore freshwater crab is found only in Singapore and nowhere else. We have never found it in Malaysia, we never found it in Indonesia. And even in Singapore itself, it is not found everywhere. It is found only in forest streams in three areas of Singapore. So these three areas are Bukit Timah Nature Reserve and parts of Bukit Gombak and Bukit Batok. And in these areas, it doesn't live in all the forest streams. It only lives in some very small streams where the conditions are right, where, where the water quality is good enough, where, where it's fast flowing water and it's, come, and it's surrounded by forest habitats. So these crabs only live in this very specific habitat in these very small areas of forest. So it's quite worrying Right, to think about how 
vulnerable these crabs are to extinction. If let's say something happens and these crabs disappear, they could be wiped out, not just from Singapore, but from the entire world. Remember, they are found only in Singapore and nowhere else. So a lot of people will think it's just a tiny little crab. What difference does it make? However, it it's really quite amazing to think of how even tiny, highly urbanized Singapore can still be a home for this tiny little crab found only in these streams here in Singapore and nowhere else in the world. And I think in recent years, it is very heartening to see how different conservation organizations have come together to try to save the Singapore freshwater crab. We had National Parks Board, National University of Singapore, Wildlife Reserve Singapore, and various other scientists and individuals and researchers really pooling our brains, our resources together to do whatever we can to save this uh, really amazing small animal that's found in Singapore. Yes, I think it's quite Im- impressive to see the effort that's being done and hopefully in future we can maybe figure out how to breed these crabs in captive conditions, maybe we can increase their populations and of course maybe we can reintroduce them to suitable areas where there's still habitat for them to live in. So on that hopeful note, we can move on to the last animal of the day, which is a success story in its own right. So the last species I wanted to talk about is the Neptune's cup sponge, a species that was actually feared extinct for more than a century, but rediscovered in Singapore. So my understanding is that sponges or sea sponges are tiny little animals that people used to harvest in the past, dry their bodies and use it for facial care or body cleaning, is that right? Yes, that's correct. So a lot of sponges were exploited and harvested for that purpose. In the old days, your bath sponges were actually the dried bodies of sea creatures. However, not all sponges can be used in that manner. The Neptune's cut sponge is a very different sort of animal. So think of it this way, you have this huge wine goblet that can be more than a meter wide and more than a meter tall. Okay, big enough to be used as a bathtub for a small child. In fact, there are many old photos of the Neptune's cup sponge being used in that manner. Now because of its large impressive size, it was heavily sought after by collectors. From the early 19th century, it was heavily harvested by people and by the early 20th century, there were, no more, there were no more to be found anywhere in Southeast Asia. So there were a lot of concerns and fears that this species had been harvested to a complete extinction, meaning it was totally gone. There were no, no more to be found in Singapore, no more to be found in Indonesian waters, no more to be found in Australian waters as well. Now, by the 1990s, some, some were found during dredging activities of Australia. However, there were none found in their own environment. And what's impressive is that in 2011, divers in our southern islands actually found two individuals, small ones, much smaller ones, not the huge giant Neptune's cup sponges, but they were verified to be young individuals of this same species in the waters of St. John's Island. So two were found which is an amazing rediscovery. In fact, it was notable enough to be, to be reported widely in the news, not just here, but also internationally. And subsequently, a few more were found and some of them have been moved to the Sisters Islands Marine Park. 
where they can be further protected from various threats. So it's really amazing to think about how Singapore is busy maritime traffic, ships traveling up and down our shipping lanes. A lot of people think, oh, our waters are so murky, there's, there's nothing to be found. But we actually have a small population of these Neptune's cup sponges and it, it kind of gives people hope that who knows what else we can find in our own waters. We don't have to go diving off the Great Barrier Reef or along many of the of the famous dive spots to make amazing discoveries. In fact, you can even do so in our own waters. So those are the five animals that you should know. And we really hope that you enjoyed our very first episode of Wild Red Dot. I feel in this episode, we really come to see that Singapore is both a modern city and also a place of high biodiversity. You know, we explored different habitats, types of wildlife, and even the five species that we talked about. So we're going to put up some information on our Instagram account, Wild Red Dot, so do check it out. And looking back, you know, we can really see that a common issue that we bump into is the close proximity that we have in Singapore to wildlife. And a lot of us are starting to enjoy and appreciate wildlife, and that's a really, really great thing. It's very heartening to see. But is it possible to harm wildlife by being too close? We'll explore this in the next episode of Wild Red Dot. Till next time, we'll see you on the wild side.